Okay, welcome to the Stratcom podcast. I'm Ahmad Kablan, I'm a presenter at TRT World. I host the show called Double Check. Today I have Shahid Aminullah with me, who served as a senior advisor at the US Department of State from 2011 to 2014, focusing on global Muslim communities. And he currently serves as a global vice president at the research and consulting firm Frost and Sullivan, and is a managing director at the private equity firm. Frost Capital. Thanks for joining us, Shahid. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Shahid, this is a strategic communication summit. And I want to ask you, because your expertise also lies in this area as well. Can we just start with what you think or how you think social media impacted Muslim communities? So I think Muslim communities for hundreds of years uh, required or relied on authority figures to help shape um, Muslim identity in various countries. And what you had happen when in the advent of social media is that mass Muslim populations were exposed to an incredible amount of diversity in thought and practice when it comes to Muslims expressing their identity. And this has uh, proved to be both destabilizing to communities that really depended on a, on a very kind of conformist attitude towards their identity, but it was also very liberating for a lot of people who wanted to express their Islam in, in a much more kind of personal and authentic way. So it's, had, it's, 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 it's helped create a conversation which is ongoing, and it's a difficult conversation at times, but, uh, but I think in the end will be very healthy for global Muslim communities. Do you think it also brought in some disadvantages or you have a kind of positive attitude towards it? I think in the end, while it's positive, I think the disadvantages in the short term is that it uh, exposed, I think, a lot of people to some of the ugliness that exists on the on the borders of Muslim identity. So you had in one case um, extremists using social media to propagate um, some really violent and very kind of antagonistic ideas of what it means to be Muslim. And on the other hand, you had a platform by which people who hate Muslims are able to actually reach out to, to those Muslims and antagonize them. And so it's been really difficult for people who aren't used to hearing criticism and critique, um, whether it's academic critique of, of what Muslims uh, practice and what they believe, or, or racist and hateful critiques um, by people who simply don't want Muslims in their neighborhoods. And then on the other hand, having um, a, such a diversity of Islamic practice being propagated and, 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 and people who are expressing their identity in ways that really aren't traditional, it's very destabilizing. And so, you know, it's, I think it's, it's created a lot of turbulence, but I think it's a necessary thing to happen because you cannot put the genie back in the lamp. Um, once information is, is, is out there, it wants to be free. And I think the sooner that we recognize that there is a diversity of opinion, a diversity of practice, and we're okay with that, I think we'll be able to progress as, as a global Muslim community. Okay. And now one thing that I particularly see on social media a lot as well is whenever there's an attack, um, the global mainstream media, uh, in particular, there's a lot of talk about how the media vilifies Muslim communities, uh, it vilifies Islam in particular, and that social media has somewhat at least uh, broken up that vilification and helped amplify the voice of Muslims. Is that true? It has. Yeah, I think social media has done two things. One is it has introduced Muslim voices 
into the conversations that are happening about Islam and Muslims, which, you know, I think if you remember the days after 9-11, you would have panel discussions of people discussing Islam or Muslims, and there would be no Muslims at the table. That's not the case anymore, both because social media has forced our voices into that conversation, but also because social media has been an incredible training ground for Muslim journalists and pundits and thinkers to become part of that mainstream conversation. So now in the West, you have Muslim voices who are actually, you know, anchoring newscasts and who are, you know, being featured on TV as part of those conversations. And so now it's a lot rarer for those conversations to happen without Muslims being a part of it. And I think for that, we, have, we can really thank social media. And when we talk about communication and communication strategies, we, we realize that, you know, in the past, it was really difficult to communicate with a, a larger audience. Uh, and these days, it's much easier through these platforms. So do you think the idea of reaching a larger audience is much more beneficial? Because some people say it was better to just, you know, live within your communities now that we're all globalized, we're reaching out to everyone, and this has got some setbacks. Which one do you think is better? Well, I think we need both. I think it's important to cultivate intra-Muslim conversations. And for those people who are not comfortable with kind of speaking outside our communities, I think it's been really helpful. But I think that for those Muslims who are who are um, very comfortable in 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 engaging with uh, uh, communities of other faiths, I think for them it's been a real godsend. I think to be able to be a part of those larger conversations and to engage, it's a fantastic training ground. I can think of no better way to train people to be communicators than to have them become well versed in social media. And this is important whether you're speaking to the larger community or even speaking within Muslim communities, because I definitely think even when you look at inside Muslim communities, we have to start cultivating civil discourse. We have to learn how to disagree agreeably within our communities. And I think that's something that we're still working on, but I think it's something we're getting better at as time goes on. And do you think there's a, there's a, a stronger connection now between Muslim communities in different parts of the world? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, what I think you've seen emerge over the last 10 years with the advent of social media is you have an entire generation growing up with their culture primarily defined by online spaces. So there are more similarities between Muslim, young Muslims on social media, regardless of which country they're in. There's more similarities between those people than those people and other people in the country within which they live. And what it's created is it's created a lingua franca among emerging Muslim communities. And I think that that is going to enable a lot of great cross-pollination and interaction and deeper conversations about Muslim identity. And you're already seeing that. And you're seeing those tightened bonds between that internet-enabled generation. And I think that's nothing but a good thing. So what is that common lingua franca? Because I hear that a lot in communication in particular. And if you have a common lingua franca, you know, it means you're, you're ahead of the race. So, uh, so I, I don't want people to misunderstand me. I'm not simply talking about, for example, English as a common medium on the internet, although that is a big part of it. When you're engaging in social media, you adopt certain norms and certain attitudes. You learn to use humor. You learn to be concise. You learn to uh, be able to kind of take criticism and, and be kind of bold in what you're saying. When I say lingua franca, I mean, we, we learn how to, to use the same uh, communication methodologies that social media enables. And that's, that's what's enabling the, the cross-cultural um, spread. And so even if you're talking about people who are doing memes in Arabic or TikToks in French, 
as long as they're part of this enabled generation, they're uh, they're all speaking essentially the same language. Okay, and I guess that that is very vital, in particular, not just for Muslim communities, but all communities around the world. So, Absolutely. can you also talk about, you know, um, most recently, what are some of the most pressing issues for the Muslim communities around the world, and what are the challenges they face? So, what we're seeing in the Muslim world right now is is a is 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 a um, adoption of anti-Muslim sentiment that goes up to the highest levels of various governments around the world. That anti-Muslim hate is being normalized at the same time that allies are coming to our defense. Um, I think that we've seen a polarization over the last few years driven by social media, where people are coming together to be hateful, but also coming back together to be supportive. And I think what that means for Muslims who are engaged in the space is that you cannot leave the social media arena uh, untapped. You have to be there. You have to engage both to coordinate with our allies, but also to make that stand against people who hate us. And now that is, is entering the real world in the form of what governments are doing and what some, some lone actors are doing, um, social media is the arena by which we can best push back against that. And Shahid, it's important you say that because recently I was reading a report in the UK from the Center for Media Monitoring, and they concluded that from 2018 to 2020, after analyzing 48,000 online articles and over 5,000 broadcast news clips that from 34 British media outlets and 38 television channels, that there was a widespread use of anti-Islam and anti-Muslim language, even in cases where the story wasn't about Muslims, there was anti-Islamic language used. Yes. And I think this is why we can't ignore what's happening in online spaces, because I think the most important thing that we all have to realize is we cannot stop those voices from emerging into online spaces. You know, the, the, the Internet is a generally free place. And as much as you want to kind of, you know, report to Facebook or other things, these these voices are going to get out there. Now, the one thing we have on our side is we have numbers, both in terms of the number of Muslims, but also the number of people who are our allies. And so if we mobilize those people, we can drown out those voices and we can be the dominant conversation uh, in these spaces. And we can push these marginalized, hateful um, thoughts to the to, to the fringe where they belong. And do you think that, you know, even the report I just cited, which is the mainstream media, which reaches quite a large audience, that eventually it would be possible to get rid of uh, anti-Muslim racist, uh, some of these ideas that exist, do yes. you think it will be possible? It's, it's very important that we make the leap from social media conversations to mainstream media conversations, because what I have noticed is that when you have hate emerging in an online conversation or even a mainstream media conversation, the minute you put one Muslim voice in there, it has the effect of neutralizing that. It doesn't take much. Simply your presence can help marginalize it. It's in the absence of Muslims from that arena that these hateful messages thrive. And so my challenge to people is that be in every online space where people are talking about Muslims, be in every mainstream media outlet as a professional journalist, as a professional pundit, so that you can be part of those conversations and some of the more sophisticated purveyors of hate can be sidelined. Absolutely. And alongside that, do you think that physical presence is also needed, you know, within your community, at the rallies, you know, in politics, in um, you know, places of power, that physical presence is also needed there as well, right? This is a hand in hand, both sides need to complement each other. 
Yes, I think I, I think we we shouldn't fall into the trap of saying one is better than the other. We need people, whether it's Muslims or our allies, in every single one of these spaces. We need people in the streets. We need people in the government houses. We need people in the NGOs. We need people in the mainstream media outlets. Everywhere there's an opportunity to tell a message, we need to have people physically there. And so that means that we have to train people to be journalists. We have to train people to be engaged in government. We have to train people to be bureaucrats even. Um, and these are things that have been happening quite a bit over the last 20 years in Western countries where Muslims are a minority. And you're seeing the impact of that. Here in America now, in the Biden administration, you have multiple Muslims in the highest levels um, of service who are serving the country as a whole. But by being there, they're sending a message that we are part of this community. We're part of society. You can't marginalize us. So when you look forward with the growth of technology, not just social media, um, how, you know, most recently, of course, we've all seen this kind of metaverse world and so on. So when you look forward, your advice, the way you see things going is you feel that Muslim community should be in all of those spaces, right? Yes. Technology is, is, a, is a vehicle. It is not a replacement for the human element. If, if technology starts to, to, to increase the number of spaces where people can be, we still need to put people in those spaces. If we are absent from those spaces, we expect our allies to do it, we expect technology to do it, then nothing will ever change. But if we take advantage of every single one of these things, whether it's the metaverse or anything like that, and, and boldly be in these spaces, then we'll be able to secure a great future for our children and for society as well. You know, we'll, we'll, we will consign Islamophobia to the dustbin of history. And so just finally, is there any other forms of communication that you think are critical at this point in time for communities like the Muslim community? Absolutely. The one that I haven't mentioned so far is storytelling. I think that it's very important for Muslims to be cultural creators, not just for their own communities, but for society at large. That means we have to be filmmakers, musicians, artists. We need to start asking kind of deep questions um, that uh, affect people's lives, whether they're Muslim or not. Because in that space, you start to create a relevance of the Muslim contribution to the world that people can appreciate. And it's a very destabilizing thing for hate to have Muslims creating things that people enjoy. Um, and it makes it much harder for them to hate us. So on one side, we need the, the, the activist spaces and the journalist spaces, but we also need the space for, uh, for creative outlets. Shoda Amanullah, thank you so much for your contribution to the Stratcom Summit. Thank you for having me.